You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Kari Schneider, founder of The Empowered. Kari is an expert in self-mastery and the physiology of optimal performance. She consults on leadership development and culture creation for mid- and large-scale companies, and she's worked with professional athletes and sports teams from around the world, ranging from Olympic gymnasts to rugby. Kari, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is a joy to be on. Now, you're clearly a very serious and focused person. So we want to start first with a fun fact. Tell us something, a little known fact about you. Okay. Well, I love to bake. And when I lived in Turkey, my brownies were to die for so (laughs) much so that a cafe actually sold my brownies in their cafe. Nice. So you, if all this empowerment, uh, self-efficacy, peak optimal performance stuff doesn't pan out, you can go back to Istanbul and Cara somewhere around there and sell brownies. Or just be really happy with my own baking. One of the two. I don't know. <laughs> There's something to be said for that yeah. too. Yeah. Brownies are like food for the soul, I feel like. Oh, so good. And the right kind of, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what's your secret ingredient? What makes your brownies different from everybody else's brownies? There are more eggs and the sugar is a very coarse, rough sugar. And it makes a real difference in terms of the chewiness and crispiness Mm. on the outside. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to go. Everybody, I'll be right back. I got to go bake some brownies. No, no, no. no? Okay. (laughs) never mind. All right. Focus again. Enough chocolate and brownies. And so give us a little bit more of a focus now on the Empowered in your work. Give us your 30 second elevator pitch. Yeah. So we do, as you said, leadership development for companies and culture creation and do some executive coaching as well on an individual basis. We also have an incredible mastermind group coaching membership. And that allows people who may not be at the executive level, they may be at a management or employee level, they get world-class coaching as well. So it's a really neat, we try to provide the world-class coaching at multiple levels. It's great to be able to give lots of options for people wherever they are, meeting people where they are. So today, what we're going to do for everybody out there is focus on the topic of self-mastery for optimal performance. And when Carrie and I were talking before the show, I had said peak performance originally, and you said, I actually prefer optimal performance. And there's a time for peak and a time for more broadly optimal. Can you share with her, because I think this is a really important point of distinction. What's the difference between peak performance and optimal performance? Yes. I used to refer to it as peak performance a little bit because people liked that, but (laughs) it wasn't congruent for me. So I made sure that I was just distinguishing that. And it's this, that when someone, let's say in high performance sport, peaks, they're literally at the top level. They are at a personal best. They've never gone beyond that zone. They are peaking in their absolute best that they can possibly do. However, that means that they're going to need some solid recovery after because it was such a profound performance. For instance, as a, as a sport reference here, 
you won't see world records being broken at an Olympics. You will see world records being broken at the world championships that qualify for the Olympics. So by the time they get to the Olympics, they can't do their absolute peak because they've already peaked before Mm. the Olympics. So the world records are broken before the Olympics ever happen because that's the physiology of the body. So the distinction is that what we want in life is typically an optimal performance and be able to sustain that. And yes, we'll still get peaks and personal bests. And those are fantastic. However, we're doing it in such a way that that new personal best becomes something that can be repeatable again, not just a one and done, not just a, I'm going to crash after that peak. We're looking for optimization in all areas and some level of sustainability over time. So the peaks, if you think about it, a mountain has only one peak. There's highs and lows in it, but whatever is the pinnacle is is the peak. And yes, we'll all have those. So we're not saying not to, yeah. but over time, we're really looking for what is sustainably sustainable excellence yes. of sorts. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're looking to be able to create bests that then can be replicated so that we continue to expand in our optimization. Yes. So then what we're going to do for you today, everyone, is Kari's going to share some tips on optimal performance with suggestions that we'll segue into later on about how to communicate those ideas to your team, to your company, to your people to improve the overall company culture and performance for the organization. Does that sound about right? Sounds amazing. We'll do it. Love it. Okay. So first, let us have it. Give us an idea of something that's going to make us go, oh my God, I never thought about that but fabulous for peak self-mastery for optimal performance. Okay. So first of all, when we're talking about self-mastery, one of the reasons this is so critical in any sort of leadership role or within a company and for productivity and effectiveness and efficiency, the reason we speak to this is because if we can't master ourselves, not just mentally, not just emotionally, but also physically and physiologically, when we master ourselves, that is the foundation of leadership. So when we can do that really well, that's how we show up best for others. That's how we lead others best because we're giving them our best example, at least our best for that day, because we've done the things to master ourselves. And an example that we spoke about earlier, I gave an example of a morning routine, for instance, because I've seen this over and over where the workload becomes so great or the amount of tasks has just built up and become you've become overrun by the amount of things to do, then it's easy to claw back that chunk of time that was, say, the morning routine. When I say morning routine, I mean those consistent ritualistic activities that serve you and yourself. So that could be an activity like exercise in the morning, morning journaling, gratitude journaling. It could also be things like uh, meditation first thing in the morning. So what's critical about that is that it's playing into you, your self-mastery, you're filling your own cup, you becoming your best. And the thing about a morning routine, and I I don't, I hesitate to say a morning routine because most people have heard morning routine. And so they start to implement a morning routine. But the problem is, is that that morning routine isn't ritualized enough to be a standard, to be a practice, to be something that's never skipped. Because oftentimes a leader will be overrun 
go, I need that 30 minutes. I need that extra hour. And then they take the extra hour for more work. And they don't realize that the result is that they are more reactive throughout the day. This is what research shows. They're more reactive throughout the day and less proactive. Yet with the morning routine, they're more proactive and less reactive. And that's so powerful because I'm I'm going to throw myself right under the bus. I'm grossly, grossly guilty of that. And I, I often mark in my calendar, there's this time for the planning time and time for this and time for that. And then either get behind on other things in the morning or just realize there's something big coming up that I know I'm going to need more time to prepare for, or I just don't feel like it. Frankly, sometimes I just feel lazy and I don't feel like doing the the journal or the planning time or the whatever. It's like I, I know more or less what I need to get done. I'll just wing it or figure it out or it's on my calendar, all that. So do I really need this planning, planning time? And I kick myself every time, but I'm really good at planning for it and then not following through on it for that plan. So uh, if you can help talk me out of that one, I'd be very grateful. Okay. It's interesting because We often as humans believe that the problem is that we didn't do the morning routine. And the problem really isn't that. The problem is somewhere along the thinking process. So somewhere you and you pointed to it. What you pointed to is that there was a thought along the way that said, and it sounds like an innocent thought and it sounds like a fact. And here, here's what the thought sounds like. It sounds like I have more prep to do on this project. Now, we could argue that as a fact, and it's a thought. So in that moment, you're believing your own brain. And your brain is actually acting likely on fear versus acting on best performance optimization. There's a different thought that's there. It's that, okay, what needs to happen for me to perform my best today? What needs to happen for me to maximize my creative capabilities? How do I serve my body and mind to create the outcomes I'm looking for today? And it's a different, the answers are very different than I need to prep this project isn't ready. Because if that's where we're coming from, then we could literally prep all day long. If the project was due at 2 p.m., and that's the amount of time you had, then you could prep till 2 p.m. If the project was due at 6 p.m., we could prep that amount of time too. It's Isn't that referred to as the Pareto principle? I believe that the amount of time you need to, to complete a task will expand to fit the amount of time you allocate to it. So I can't remember what was the Pareto principle. I, the, so I think that Pareto principle is the 80-20 rule. Oh, right. Sorry. That's Parkinson's law, not to be confused with Parkinson's disease, but uh, Parkinson's law is what says that work will expand to fit the amount of time allocated. So, okay, not to be confused with the 80-20 rule, Parkinson's law. Got it. Absolutely. So for busy people, for achievers, for people who have a lot on the go, the time will be filled. Where the distinction comes in is, well, what am I going to choose it to be filled by? Because if I don't make the call, then guess what? It's going to be filled by whatever needs doing, by whatever other people demand. So we have to make the distinction of what that time is going to be filled with. And when it comes to a morning routine, because it kicks off the day, it's so critically important to our mindset, to our body energy, to how everything else plays out for the rest of the day. 
Yeah. Okay. So the question that we should be asking ourselves at the beginning of the day then in order to help us answer the right questions and have a more productive, optimal use of time for the rest of the day is what? What will serve my body and mind best to kick off my day best? to kick off my performance best. The language is so critical because it's what resonates for you. If you align with productivity, then it's going to become something like, how can I serve my mind and body right now to increase my productivity throughout the day for the rest of the day? So if connection resonates with you, it's how can I fill my cup for my thoughts and my physicality in order to connect best with others. Love it. Whatever resonates the most, then it's serving ourselves so that we can serve that thing that resonates with us. And the other thing, the facts that come down to a morning routine are that we think that if we take the break or take the time in the morning, we believe that that's going to cost us time. But the reality is, is that buys us time Because then we end up being more productive, more focused, and more efficient with when we are utilizing our time. I think it's the distinction between spending time and investing time. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, all right, everybody, invest your morning time wisely so that you get better return on that investment in your productivity afterward. Did I tie that up nice and neat? That's the synopsis I was looking for. Thank you. Love it. Okay, good. See, this is why it's all about co-work, about collaboration and teamwork on that. Terrific. So what's another one? Give us another tip for optimal performance and self-mastery. Okay, so this one is recovery and it's not often what people think of. So I I can give a a couple of examples where some C-level leaders were using, I noticed this with a a couple of clients that C-level leaders were using running as their downtime. Mm -hmm. as their personal time. And for me, with a background in working with the best athletes in the world, that sounds like a fantastic option. And it is until over time, I realized that a lot of these high achievers were doing the same types of things over and over, and they weren't actually getting the recovery that they needed. So what I mean by this is that we all have what's called an autonomic nervous system. And when we are working really hard, we're very focused, we're go, 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 we're very productive, we're getting things done, we're in what's called a sympathetic nervous system. And there's the other side of that autonomic nervous system that is the parasympathetic. The sympathetic is this go, 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 drive, 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 be on, very focused. This parasympathetic is the rest, the digest, the relax, the kickback, the chillax. And what happens is that the A players, the high achievers will not only go, go, go in work, but then they'll go, go, go at home. They might have to be driving kids and organizing things and prepping meals and doing all the go, go, go. And then they'll recover with some go, go, go like a run, or they'll recover with some intense CrossFit or some intense workouts. Now, I am a huge fan of intensity in the gym. I love it. However, as long as there is something that is truly zoning out, truly relaxing, truly, and I'm not just talking TV, I'm talking like 
a walk in nature or putting on some music and daydreaming or just sitting and relaxing with a friend and chatting about nothing, not a work meeting, not a get something done, but just catching up or doing a hobby that is really task yet relaxing in nature, like gardening or painting. So those types of activities allow our brains to defragment. So a meditation would allow our brains to get rid of all of the not needed interactions or synapses or connections and just unload it, fix and repair, and then come back refreshed. So that recovery is really important. That recovery can look like and should look like five minutes to 15 minutes on about every one and a half to two hours. So what I'm hearing is that it's not just about doing something not work related or doing something fun. It's even the fun stuff. If jogging or running is your release or, you know, being with your kids and is your release of sorts. It sounds like it's about the a contrast and in intensity. Yes, a contrast in intensity and focus. It's allowing the brain to go less in the very focused side of things, more into the imaginative or the wandering or the creative. And when we are not allowing that, it's affecting our entire nervous system. It affects our hormones. It affects how we interact with others, the ability to interact with others. It affects so many things. It also affects how we're able to continue to produce. So if we don't get the down cycle, then it's hard to have another up cycle. Mm. So if we don't, and the way that if somebody's witnessing this, I'm making kind of a wavy line <laughs> that goes up in nature. And when I make a wavy line that goes up in nature, that's how our bodies operate. Our bodies are not linear. They do not just go straight up. We go down and we go up. It's cyclical. And even our brains are cyclical on a circadian rhythm on a 24-hour clock. And our brains are cyclical on a what's called an ultradian rhythm, which is about at 90 to 120 minutes throughout the day. So on, it's flipped upside down for our sleep cycle at night. So what that means in our recovery is that we can get little mini bouts of recovery in these little five to 15 minute segments about every 90 to 120 minutes, 90 minutes to two hours. And that will allow us to have that next 90 minute cycle be productive and go deep into deep work and be very focused. But if we try and slog through four hours straight, then naturally our bodies will reject that because our brain will continue to go on to a 90 minute cycle and we'll have to go for a pee break. We'll start scavenging for snacks. We will start to get distracted and looking around. We can't stay in that deep work for longer than about 90 minutes to two hours. So the recovery can be in short little bouts throughout the day and also intentional bouts of getting out of the realm of work, out of the realm of intensity, out of the realm of focus that comes with that side of the nervous system. So the little five to 10 minute breaks throughout the day to where possible to break up your your meeting streak. But uh, for the either evening or morning sessions worth of the longer one, are we talking a 15 minute? Are we talking half an hour longer? Keep it short. Longer doesn't necessarily mean better. Don't go longer than about 30 minutes. 
So you can even fit in a nap, for instance, if you've been going hard on a work trip, you come back and you're still working and you need something that's a little more, but it can't be more than around that 30 minutes. Otherwise, we don't have the same opportunity to get into a deep flow and a deep cycle. Okay. And this is not just for our brains. This is how our physiology operates. This is what, you know, even if a team physically had a three-hour practice that's very intense, it needs to have ebb and flow in order to break that up. Otherwise, there's just no way it's not going to happen. I know you had mentioned to me earlier that the downtime should not be just watching television, that whole kind of mindless TV for half an hour, an hour before bed, that that's not the same thing, that screen time is something you're supposed to avoid. Well, it can be one of those mindless things, but here's the the caveat. It's that if that's the choice right before bed, it's not the ideal choice. Okay, why? Because right before bed, there's the there's the exposure to the light, there's the exposure to the flicker, the change in what happens on a television screen. And that's all very stimulating to our brain. And our brain is our eyeballs. Mm. Our eyeballs are the only exposed part of our brain. So when we're seeing all that flicker, that ends up stimulating our brain. So it's not conducive to really getting that turn the dial down in order to go into sleep. So ideally, two hours before bedtime, there's no screen time. Which speaking of screens, it it occurs to me for those little five minute blocks in the middle of the day, something like doing the Wordle for those who are uh, Wordle fans or a little Sudoku or a little whatever, it's still technically mindful or is that too much thought? It depends on what kind of break you need. If, if your body's been sitting for that whole time and then you sit some more and do something that's, that's a, a word task or Sudoku, then I would suggest you get up and move around. Hmm. It depends on the type of focus. If somebody's been typing for however long to then sit and do the game isn't going to be the kind of break that is ideal for optimization for the next cycle. If you want optimization for the next cycle, it needs to literally be a change. And sometimes a change is as good as a break. So for instance, if somebody's working from home and they're pounding through an hour and a half, but then they spend 15 minutes of folding laundry and listening to music, that can be ideal. It's mindless. And then they go into another deep cycle and they're optimized. They're literally optimized for that next cycle because they stood, they were physical, they let their mind daydream, they listened to music, and then they came back into their work and they are literally refreshed, even though they didn't, you know, do the classic go for a walk or mm-hmm. whatever. They they changed the task that was so different that it became a break and it became a, a recovery from the previous cycle. Interesting. Okay, so ways to turn house mindless household chores <laughs> into a break. That is a very new, it's like turning your broccoli into dessert. It is possible. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming from a master in productivity and having had five kids. And so it's like, okay, how how can we do all this and still get what we need and recover? Yes, but there, it is true that there are a lot of, manual labor tasks, which just the opportunity to go like pulling some weeds or drying dishes or washing dishes or um, like everybody has their physical task that is cathartic to them, whether it's folding away laundry and putting it away or whether I know people who my friend of mine likes washing dishes, hates drying them, but like something about feeling the suds and the hands is is soothing. Mm -hmm. So that's something that she enjoys. I like to cook. I don't like the cleaning part, but I like to me chopping vegetables. That's easy, rote, yes, mindless stuff. So there's there's a part that you pointed to and and I'm gonna add something to it. You said cathartic. So it's ideally it's more than that. Ideally it's enjoyable. 
So if you can get into that enjoyable realm, yes. then that's even better. And and if it's cathartic and enjoyable, and it's that's the magic of going into a change that's as good as a recovery break. Love it. Okay, so we can be we can still be productive in a way that is cathartic and enjoyable and gets us refreshed to go into the next cycle of deep work afterwards. All right, I think we have time for one more. So Kari, give us one more tip that we can use for optimal self-mastery and performance. Okay. This one is I think counterintuitive considering <laughs> considering the audience and considering my background and it's it's this. It's honoring the relationships. And there's such an important reason why I say this. Number one is what we were pointing to in the recovery and that in the recovery, we're getting more of our serotonin and our we're, we're getting the relaxation, the down kind of hormones in that recovery. But with relationships, what I see achievers do, what I see the businesses, the leaders, the high performing executives do is neglect some of the people in their lives that they love the most, that are the Mm. most meaningful. These humans are literally why they work so hard. These humans are why they want the results that they want. And yet those same humans end up getting the least amount of their time and the lowest quality of their time. And so what I would propose here is And even from a cultural standpoint in a company is being open to reminders like, hey, reach out to your loved one for five minutes at lunchtime. So those little things that the temptation is always there to work more, especially for your audience. We are humans who are achievers. We want to produce more. We're excited by what we do. We want to help more people. And so there's this constant compelling drive to keep doing and doing and doing. However, it takes that two-minute text or voice message or phone call to really keep the connections alive. And it does a massive service for our own physiology, which then plays into our leadership performance. So would it be fair to suggest that as one of your breaks per tip number two for those little five and 10 minute downtimes during the day to pick up the phone and call someone, a friend you've been meaning to check in with and for the last three months haven't gotten around to it, this is a chance or call your grandmother, yes. somebody you've been meaning to touch base with and just have, say, okay, I've only got five minutes, but you're on my mind and I was thinking about you and I just wanted to call and say hi and then, of course, honor those five to 10 minutes. Don't let five or 10 turn into 30 or 50, but at least you got it in there. Yeah. And you stack it with doing it while you're on a walk outside with nature and you are, you're banging on all cylinders. You are crushing (laughs) it because the feeling you get, because this is the thing, our thoughts will typically drive an emotion, but our emotions, our emotional state is what drives our action, our productivity, our output. And so those actions, if they're coming from a space of feeling rejuvenated, feeling connected, feeling excited, feeling inspired, that's where we produce our best. That's where we connect our best with our teammates. That's where we actually come up with the more innovative ideas. So these little things that seem counterintuitive, it seems like, okay, no, I'll get to my spouse, I'll get to my family once work is done. And guess what? Work is never done. And Mm. they are the ones who are going to be the ones to have your back no matter what. So through the journey, 
peppering in those little ways not only serve the relationships, but it serves who you are and how you show up and how you continue to perform. I can easily say that when I can think of an instance on a national team with a captain and when there was a problem with the spouse's health, that's when the person can't perform on the team. That's when everyone's rallying to make sure that person is taken care of. So this is the thing that we're humans and we're wired for human connection. And we typically are driven to do what we do because of those we love. Yes. So how do we instill some of these principles then in, A, of course, reminding ourselves to do them, but then how do we start to help others in our team, in our group, in our organization to incorporate these healthier practices and support each other in the process to make it more of the culture rather than just, well, I do it for myself, but maybe nobody else does? Yeah, there are a number of ways. I mean, there are actually tools out there within workplaces where people can communicate with each other and get feedback. And now I'm blanking on the names of them. But, <laughs> but there are literally tools to help support these types of things that are prompts prompts to, you know, have you, have you reached out to that teammate? Have you whatever. But the bigger picture is that you know your team and you know the people who end up inspiring others on the team. And they're usually your A players in a company. And if an A player is willing to suggest something, then that's going to be one of the things that very quickly can influence a group. The other way typically to influence that culture is to inspire. So if a group believes that something that's important to them is going to happen based on their activities, then they're more likely to do it. And it can be the little reminders, the little challenges, a workplace challenge, a workplace water challenge, a workplace share where everybody does on a high performance team. People do a 30 minute personal share at the beginning. They develop the rapport. They know what's going on personally. They don't dwell on it. They go on to the professional immediately at some sort of say all staff meeting or not all staff, but senior management meeting. They go directly into the professional, but now they have the seed of knowledge of the human. And then the other human teammate can actually be a teammate and show up for that other human and say, hey, I heard you and your wife celebrated your 25th anniversary. Congratulations. That takes something. What do you do to do that? Well, we make sure that we text each other twice a day, a funny joke. We've been doing memes lately for however long. And that's the seed that starts to plant the spread of a, oh, well, let's do that with work too. A little meme mm -hmm. that we can share with each other. And that creates a fun cultural environment. So right there, it's the littlest things that start to spread and start to grow into the type of cultural environment that the leader or the company might be really aligned with. And in this situation, I can easily say, and I've seen this way too often, where the culture is the last thing to be worked on, or the leader is afraid to implement certain things because they want so badly the new people in the company to enjoy or like them. So they don't want to force anything on anyone. However, if that culture isn't intentionally created, then ultimately it will create itself with or without the intention. And ideally, leaders are creating a culture that serves the individual human as well as the company. When there are happy, healthy humans, 
they are productive humans. They are caring humans. They are co-elevating humans who will have each other's back. And the point about being afraid to set the culture and being afraid to make changes or to try to implement programs, it's interesting who tends to hold back on things or go in the other direction and be too uh, shiny object syndrome, excited about implementing everything, every new idea that comes along. It reminds me of a, um, I think it was Mike Massaro's interview from just a few episodes ago where he was talking about how if you don't set your own company's culture, it's going to set itself. Yes. And that's never a good place to be. Yes, exactly. Because then what happens is that there's all this extra time and energy undoing the things that you don't want. And I, I've seen that. I've seen a culture of drinking with a company. Mm. And it started innocently with the company leader bringing the some of the key staff out for some drinks. But then that became the habit. And then literally that same company leader is trying to undo that precedent, undo that culture that had been created. He wanted to create camaraderie. He didn't want to create a culture of drinking. And yet what came from it was a culture of drinking. Mm. So then he's trying to undo the culture of drinking. So... Being intentional about what the vision is for the people in the company, not just the company, not just the customers, but the people in the company is key. I recently had a client who running their company, there was such a focus on the clients, but the problem in the company was not enough staff and staff turnover. And if there's a culture of really valuing the people in the company, then it's an area that takes care of itself. It's an area that ends up being far more supportive and not as likely to have the pitfalls of losses. Yes. So valuing the, the company, valuing the culture, valuing the people in the company, just as much as you value the customer or the client is so important because they are the heart of the company. 100%, 100%. And that's uh, optimal for actually this whole conversation, which I know could go on another hour easily, but unfortunately we are running out of time. So I'm going to need to wrap this up for a moment. Kari, is there anything that you'd like to give our audience today? Well, we have this fantastic online course called Sleep Tonight for Achievers. Hmm. And you can just imagine why I decided to create that course because so many achievers are go, 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 have a hard time really getting the amount and the right recovery with their sleep. So I have an online course, Sleep Tonight for Achievers, and we have a discount code for your audience and it's SLEEP15 is the discount code. I'm sure you'll pop it in the show notes. And that can be found on our website, theempowered.ca is our website. Just theempowered.ca is our website. And in the shop tab, you'll see the course and, or we'll probably put it in the show notes. I imagine I'll pass you that link and the code. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So everybody get that code again. As she mentioned, we will, of course, put it in the show notes. So a 15% discount off of the online program to help you sleep better at night. I think there's a lot of people out there who could definitely use either better quality or greater quantity or both of sleep. So with that, Kari, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really great conversation and I am committing here to honoring that time block in the morning for my morning uh, routines moving forward. So thank you for that. Yes, I love that for you. And I love this topic for your listeners. I could go on and on about it. But most importantly, it's them and being able to really feel their best in order to give their best. Absolutely. Thank you again for joining us and everybody else out there as well. Thank you for joining 
Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode if you haven't done so already. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide for equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Socola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.